Father, we've just spent the few, last few moments inviting the presence of your Holy Spirit, and we want that to be true. We want your Spirit to have the freedom to speak to our hearts, to engage us in truth. And so, Father, whatever it would be that's distracting us at this moment, and there can be so many things, our life is full and there are so many things that grab our attention, would you help us for the next few moments to focus our attention on you? And to say yes to your spirit, to allow your spirit to mold and shape our hearts, that we would become more like your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the privilege we have of opening your word. I pray that it would be your words that we hear this morning. We'll praise you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. If you've been with us over the last little while, we've been wandering our way through the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians, and we will be for the next little while. We're going to continue that this morning. We're going to talk about be, be, be praying this morning. We have this wonderful opportunity that's in front of us as, as Christ followers. If you have come to the point where you understood who Jesus Christ is and you have, have a relationship with Jesus Christ, in other words, you realize that he went to the cross and paid the price for your sin and you accepted that gift, that, that price, that payment uh, for your sin and you've started a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you have this avenue that is yours, and that avenue is you have an ability to talk to God. You have an ability to be in the very presence of God, the one who created you. And you can bring your request, you can bring what is on your heart into the very presence of God, and he hears you. It's incredible. And through Jesus Christ, God, the Father, listens to to you. And here's the, here's the amazing thing about this. It's not just that he listens. You know how it is sometimes with your children who continually are talking to you. You know what I mean, right? They just, they don't stop. They just keep, and you're like, yes, what is it? And you're not really pleasant about the fact that they're speaking to you at that point. God is not like that, okay? He doesn't get the irritable parent syndrome, all right? He just, he loves to have his kids come into his presence and talk to him. And we have that wonderful privilege, and that's what Paul's going to talk about in this next little section that we're going to read, is this awesome opportunity that believers have to be in the presence of God. And I want to encourage you in that. But I can just picture Paul when we come to this third chapter, and I can see him. He loves this little church, remember, that he planted, and he left And I can see him sitting down, it's in the evening, and he's sitting down and there's a candle burning. And he's got out a piece of parchment, and he's got a quill out, and he's got an inkwell, and he sits down and he starts to write. And the reason he's starting to write this part of the letter to these people is because one of the young guys who's been with Timothy and he's ministered with Timothy came back today. He'd been sent back to this little church in Thessalonica, 
And he was sent to kind of check up and see how they were doing. And remember, Paul had sent him to, to remind the people that, he, that Paul had not forgotten about them and, and that he had done everything that he had done for their good and, and he had done everything without trying to get anything of himself. And, and he was hoping that they would remember that his reputation in being there was that he worked hard for them so that they could understand the gospel. And, and Timothy had gone to check up on them and And he had come back this afternoon. Timothy made it back. And he told Paul, he he came to Paul and he said, guess what? Those believers that are in Thessalonica, that little group of people who came to know Jesus Christ, they're still following God. And and I could see Paul, he, he, he was making tents this afternoon and he dropped his tent and he's like, I can't believe they're still doing it. Woohoo! Come on. Thank you, Phil. Everybody else is asleep. Yeah, exactly. He's excited about this little... Folks, folks, listen to me. Listen to me. A lot of people start out strong in their faith. A lot of people bump into the truth about Jesus Christ. And they go, oh yes, this could change my life. This one Jesus, oh wow, he came to save me. He came to pay the price for my sin. And, and then life starts to happen and they turn sideways and they walk away. This is too hard. And I can see Paul standing there with the tent. And he's, he's because it said he was a tent maker. I'm going with tents, okay? Just because that's what the scriptures, I, I don't know what he was making. But he was making, and I can see him when Timothy comes back. And he's like, they kept going. They're still living their faith. And when Tim, Timothy gives him the response, he doesn't just say, hey, they kept going. He says, look, everywhere I went, people talked about the difference that these guys were making. They talked about the difference that their faith was making. It's amazing what's going on. I can see Paul. He's, he's stooped. He's been working. And he's, he's been ready to give up. Have you ever been there? I have. I've been there in ministry where I've said, man, this is not worth it. And Paul standing there sweating, working, paying the bills, preaching the gospel, being beat for his faith, having people misunderstand him. And all of a sudden, this young guy comes back and says, hey, they're going on, they're doing it. And Paul just jumps for joy. And if you look at this chapter and you look at verses 6 to 9, you find this, that Paul writes to them. And I can see him. He had to wait till the evening to sit down to write because he had to finish the tent. George was waiting for the tent. And he had to finish. It's the way the job goes. you got to finish. And he couldn't wait to sit down. And he probably skipped the evening meal. And he sat down with his little, his little pen and his quill and his parchment. And he was at the little desk. And the, the light was on. And, he's, and he starts writing. And he says to these folks, he said, this is such an encouragement to me. Read it for yourself. This is such an encouragement to me that you kept on in your faith. That you're growing in your knowledge of God. That you're letting that light shine to the people that you see and that you live life with. I am so encouraged. I'll keep going. I'll keep doing this. He says it's his very life 
This is what brings life to me. I get it. I understand what Paul's saying. Folks, for, for some of you, 25, 26 years, this is what I've done. This. Shared the truth of Jesus Christ. Done it in all kinds of different scenarios. Worked different jobs to make it so that I could keep sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what I've done. I get what Paul's writing. And you know what encourages me to keep going? You guys. You know that? That's what what encourages me. When I watch you turn your life over to Jesus Christ and I see the ministry of the Holy Spirit grab a hold of your heart and renew you and change you. I'm like, Paul, I sit sometimes, I'm not a really super excitable, only when I speak, okay? That's the time that I get excited. Ask my wife, she'll say like, are you happy? And I'm like, can't you tell? I mean, really? I don't get super excited, but this excites me. When I see people's lives changed for the glory of God, when I see them run into Jesus Christ and understand the change that he can make in their lives, and then I see them allow the Spirit of God to get a hold of their heart, to grip deep down into their heart and begin to change their character to the glory of God, I'm with Paul. Yes, I'll do more. I'll keep going. Yeah. And so Paul's encouraged, and he sits there with this letter of encouragement back to these people, and he says, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for allowing God to show up. It's changing me. Now, the next part of his little letter to these people, verses 9, we're going to read a few verses down here, 9, 10, 11. He talks to them about what's going on internally in him. And what's going on in Paul is this. He's praying for this group of believers. And he's praying for them all the time. And I want to I jump in with this whole thing of his prayer. And I want you to learn, and I want me to learn this morning, what it means to pray for one another, because that's what he's really going to teach them. All right. Now, often our prayer life, or when we pray, often we pray when it's an emergency, right? Those are SOS prayers, right? God, help me, right? You get it. I'm in trouble. I did it again, right? You know what I'm talking about. These prayers that we're talking about are a little more thoughtful. They have a little more depth to them, all right? And I want you to learn about these prayers as we go through three little statements that I want to catch out of these these verses about how we should pray for one another. And they're probably not the things that we normally pray for one another. Here we go. We're going to find the first one found in verses 9 and 10. It says this, that we're going to pray for maturity of faith. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm going to start reading at verse 9. He says this, How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experienced before our God because of you? That's that encouragement I was just talking about, the letter, right? He's excited because they went on in their faith. And then he says this. As we pray very earnestly night and day to see you face to face, and here it is, and to complete what is lacking in your faith. The first prayer is this. 
Pray for maturity of faith. Pray that God would work in our hearts to establish our faith. Romans 1.17 says this, The gospel is the power of salvation in, uh, to righteousness in God, and it's revealed from faith to faith. Weird little phrase. And what it's saying is this, there's a faith that brings us to salvation in Jesus Christ. There's a faith that says this, I understand that I'm a sinner and I can't pay the price for my sin. It's impossible. There's nothing that I can do to buy forgiveness from God. I can't do it. I can't work hard enough. I can't be good enough. There's, there's absolutely nothing I can do to do that. But someone, Jesus Christ, did it for me. He paid the price for my sin. And that's the first part of the faith. It's faith believing that what Jesus Christ did for me makes me right with God. Okay? That's the first part of the faith. From faith to faith. The next part of the faith is this. That from the moment I come to know Jesus Christ, I have to have faith in Christ, in God, that I will continue to grow in Him. All right? So saving faith, I believe what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. I am a child of God now. And then I have to continue to grow in my faith. I have to believe that God is going to keep helping me walk through life, keep providing ways for me to deal with the situations of life that I face. Let me be more practical than that. How He's going to deal with, help you deal with your relationship with your spouse. You need faith. It takes faith. It takes growth in your faith. How he's going to help you to deal with the people that you work with. It takes faith. It takes trust in God that what he is doing in you will be revealed to the people you're working with. Those difficult situations that you face, maybe it's with a, with a child. Maybe it's with an addiction. The growth of faith is realizing that God wants to show up. He always is there. He always wants to be in our life. He always wants to be present, and He's always present with us. But He wants us to trust Him. And for us to say yes to Him, and for us to yield to Him, and our faith, every time we do that, our faith, what? It grows. He didn't let me down. He never let me down. He never let me down. And my faith grows. This is a lot like a muscle. Now, I know that by looking at me, you know that I used to work out. I can't believe you guys. Okay, it was a long time ago, all right? When I was a teenager and going into college, I used to work out. That was a long time ago. And if you've ever worked out, if you've ever done any muscle training, any muscle building, you know a few things about working out. Here's, let me help you for those of you who haven't, because there's one or two of you who probably haven't. Let me help you with it. Here it is. When you work out, when you build muscle, when you weight train, you work out, we used to do three sets of 10, three sets of 10, whatever it was that we were doing. And we would start at a weight do the set of 10, we would add weight, do a set of 10, add weight, and hope to finish the last set of 10. And by doing that, by hoping to finish the last set of 10, what you were doing was you were forcing your muscle to actually tear. That's what goes on in your muscle. And as that 
tears, as that is stretched, as it's strained, when you rest and recover, it rebuilds the muscle and it causes it to get bigger. And so the next time through, you would add again to your weight and you would do it again and you would build that muscle over time. You continue to build the weight. You, you tear, you rest, it builds. You tear, you rest, it builds. And you go through that and you, you do different parts of your body at different, different times of the week so that every part of your body is being built in its muscle. This is what happens with our faith. Often, we want to look at our faith and say, there, I have faith in God. God, I'm good to go. Don't give me any difficulties now because I have faith. And God knows what it takes to build the muscle of your faith. And in order to build the muscle of your faith, there has to be difficulty. We had a phrase when we worked out, and and you, you may have heard this phrase, no pain, no what? No pain, no gain. And the same is true with our faith, guys. It's through the difficulties of our life that God is able to build my faith. Because in those trials, in those difficult circumstances, when I turn to Him, when I keep turning to Him, He just keeps building. He says, I'll restore you. I'll renew you. He's the refreshment part in that. And when that hurts and I turn to him, I'm refreshed, I'm nude. But here's what happens. If I, when I was building muscle, if I kept working out and I didn't allow the refreshment, I didn't allow my body to be renewed, guess what would happen? I would do damage to my muscles. I would hurt my body. And we do that as believers often where something hurts us and instead of turning to God and asking Him to refresh and renew my faith, I do something on my own and I end up hurting myself. And when I hurt myself, I turn from God, not to God. And so Paul's prayer is this. He says, look, oh, that this group of believers would would come to maturity of faith. Oh, that in these difficult times, they would turn to God. Oh, that every time life gets rough, they would say yes to God and they would allow him to renew them. My prayer for you is that you would mature in your faith. That in the difficulties that you face, because everybody in this room is facing difficulties, that you would turn to God and you would mature in your faith. Second prayer for them is this, found in verse 12, that they would overflow with love. Let me read it for you. It says this, And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone. This prayer that Paul has for these people is not just for those who are closest to them. It's for everyone. I pray that you would overflow with love 
for everyone. Paul knew something that people who are persecuted for their faith, there's an opportunity in their heart to become self-centered. There's an opportunity for them because of the persecution that's going on in their heart and their life. Remember this little church. These are people, they're, they're saying yes to Jesus and they're probably being beaten for their faith or they're losing their job because of their faith. And there's an opportunity for them to turn inward and say, look, because of my faith, Look what's happening to me, and I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to get in this little huddle, and we're going to protect each other. And Paul says, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to look outward. In the middle of the difficulty, I want your love to overflow to everyone. See, we live from a different point of view. We don't have the persecution. But the same thing happens in affluence they would turn to one another and close up, right? When we have a lot, we become self-sufficient. And in our self-sufficiency, we become self-centered. I have enough. I'm good. It's about me. I deserve this. I get to go these steps for me. I'll work hard for me. And we become about what we can obtain, what we want. And Paul says, look, Both sides are bad. The persecution side and and becoming self-centered or our side today having a lot and becoming even more self-centered. Paul says, my prayer for you is that that wouldn't happen. My prayer for you is that your love for other people would overflow. Now, what does that look like? What's that mean when Paul prays that? Well, folks, it means this. It means that You don't just love a little bit. You don't just, I I, I like you a little bit. I've got a dime for you. Okay, I like you just just a little bit. And I like you enough that if you come into my kind of sphere that that I'll say hi and I'll, but but stay away. I mean, really, I, I like you, but don't get too close. And we do a lot of relationships like that. And Paul's idea here is this. He's saying, now I like Jim. I mean, we're, we're, we're friends, right? Kind of. Yeah. I like Jim. I like to hang out. I like to talk to Jim. It's easy for me to talk to Jim. And I don't mind when Jim comes and talks to me. And it's easy for me to like you, okay? And sometimes that's how we look at it. Well, that guy's easy to like, so I can hang out with him. And Paul doesn't say that at all. He says that my love for Jim should overflow, and Jim should know that I like him and that I love him, that I care. I want what's best for you. But then he goes on and he says, and for everyone. There are people who aren't easy to talk like Jim is. Jim's a kind of quiet guy. Jim's pretty easy to get along with. But there are people in your life who aren't that easy. There are people in your life who when you see them coming down the aisle at Walmart, you go the other way. I know, some of you have done it to me. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. You know what I'm talking about, or you wouldn't have laughed. And Paul's prayer here is this. Oh, that you would learn the love of God to the point that it overflows, first of all, to those people who are in your sphere of, Jim's in my sphere of influence. But oh, that it would overflow to everyone. Think of this, when Paul's sitting there and he's writing this to these people, 
he knows that there was a group of people who forced him out of Thessalonica. They chased him out. They said mean things about him. And Paul says, those people, love them. Love them. Care for them. That's my prayer for you. My prayer is that your faith would grow into maturity. My prayer for you is that your love would overflow for everyone. Everyone. Everyone would experience the love of Christ that is in you. And here's the thing. It happens. If you go to 2 Thessalonians on both of these, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 says that their faith increased and that their love for everyone was evident. It happened. Paul's prayer was answered in these people. Third thing that I want you to catch out of this prayer, it's this, that they would have blameless and holy hearts, found in verse 13. May he make your hearts blameless and in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints, amen. See, the, re- the reason for blameless and holy living is not to impress others. It's not to look good. It's not to gain brownie points. It's not because it's the right thing to do. It's not because my church requires it. It's not because there's a list that I have that I check off, and if I do these good things, then I feel good about myself, and I'm on the right path. That's not why. The reason for living a blameless and holy life is because one day, I will stand before the one who saved me by his grace. And when I stand before Jesus Christ, he will not look at my sins because he already paid for those. Those are washed. Those are gone. They've been done by the blood of Christ already. That's not what he's going to look at. For me, as a believer and a child of God, he's going to look at what I did. And he's going to say, did you do this for me or did you do this for you? And the stuff that I did for me, it's out of here. And what I did for God says, the Bible tells me this, it counts for eternity. And so Paul's prayer for these people that they would live blameless and holy lives is because he knows that there's a day coming when each one of us as Christ followers will stand before our Maker who paid his entire life for us. He gave his life for us. He paid the ultimate price for us. And we will stand before him. And he will look at our lives and he will say, were they holy, were they righteous, and were they blameless? Did you do that for me? Did you do that for you? And so Paul's prayer here for these believers is, look, I want you to live a holy life, not because it looks good, not because it adds to my resume as your leader, no. Because I want your heavenly Father to look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your reward. My prayer for you, that you would live a blameless and holy life. Not because it makes Mossbrook Church look good. Because it honors our Heavenly Father. Can I encourage you this morning? Can I encourage you to pray for one another this way? Pray that our faith would mature. Pray that for me. Pray that my faith would mature. Pray that for Pastor Mike. Pray that for each other, that our faith would 
would mature. Would you pray for one another that our love would overflow? Not for the folks that it's easy to love. Oh, we want to keep loving them. Don't stop. But pray that our love for each other and for those who may even be our enemies, those who may not really like us, that our love would overflow. And you would you pray for one another that we would live blameless and holy lives in the Oxford Hills? Would you do that? When you see the faces of the folks who you live life with in this church, would that be your prayer? God, help us. Help us to have a passion so deep for you that we long that one another, that each of us would grow in our faith and our understanding and our knowledge of Jesus Christ. We want to be more like you. We want to live out our life each day for you. God, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to pray for one another, to be an encouragement to one another in our growth and our walk with you? In your name we pray, amen. We're going to celebrate communion, communion together this morning. And communion is simply one of, those, one of those times when we stop for a minute and we focus our attention on what Jesus Christ did for us. And when we celebrate communion, what we're doing is we're reminding our hearts and our minds that the reason we're accepted before God is because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. The price was paid. It's complete in Jesus Christ. And so this morning as we do that, as we celebrate communion, I want you to just stop for a minute. You may need to stop for a minute as a Christ follower and just say thank you. Maybe it's been a few days before you, since you thanked God for what he's done for you. And maybe you need to stop for a minute and say, God, would you forgive me? Maybe there's some things that are just out of sorts between you and God and you need to ask him to forgive you. Do that. But I want you to stop long enough to to be able to get your mind in a place where you can celebrate. Celebrate the fact that you are a child of God who belongs in the presence of God. You belong there. You're his child. And what he did on the cross made it so that you could be in his presence. And that's what communion is all about. It's celebrating the fact that we are complete in Jesus Christ. I want to read a couple verses to you before we celebrate communion. Found in Matthew chapter 26, he says this. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat it. This is my body. And then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For the forgiveness of sin. But I tell you, I will not eat of this fruit or of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We're going to celebrate communion. I'm going to pray in just a moment. The guys will pass out the bread and then the cup. And as you're prepared to take it, you go ahead. And if you need to stop a moment, spend a little bit of time with God, you go ahead and feel free to do that. If you're not comfortable taking communion, that's okay. You can let that go by. No one's going to think anything of it. But if you're a child of God, if you're a Christ follower, 
and you're in a good relationship with God and you want to celebrate with us, you go ahead and do that. This morning you'll notice a couple of things different. As that goes by, there, there are some crackers on there that are, are wrapped, individually wrapped. Those are gluten-free. We live in a society where that has become an issue for a lot of people and we're trying to help you with that. And so if that does not affect you, just leave those, okay? That's for the people who it does affect. And those will go by and go ahead and take those if you need them. Also, at the end of communion this morning, there'll be some other baskets that go by, and those are just for your cups. It helps us clean up afterward. There's a lot of little practical things that have to happen uh, when our body is here on a regular basis. And so when that goes by at the end, just put, you, put the cups that are used in that, if you would, please. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop and pray, and then I'm going to ask the guys to come and lead us in communion. Father... Thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to worship in this way. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the freedom that comes in knowing you. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Father, I thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And God, in the next few moments, as we celebrate what you have done for us, cause our hearts to rejoice and the fullness of who we are in Christ. Help us to see you for who you really are. In your name we pray.